0: Hi, uh, welcome to the New Voting Project. My name is Kunal, your host. You know, I'm back at it again. Um, not with the white vans though, because this is a political podcast. <laughs> um, and today we're here with Patrick Mailer, um, a student at Cornell University and president of the executive board at Cornell Votes, a nonpartisan organization dedicated to spreading awareness about local elections and voting rights. Um, you're also director of elections for the Cornell Student Assembly, which is very cool. Um, Thank you so much for being with us today, taking the time out. I understand college can be, um, what's the word, busy? Uh, (laughs) That that makes sense. Um, But yes, thank you. We do appreciate your time. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I sincerely appreciate it. Of course, of course. Um, So yeah, let's get into these questions. Just for the first one, um, talk a little bit about your background. You know, what got you inspired to pursue voting and you know, join and almost create and found a, a rebirth, as you said, an organization um, and touch on how your education at Cornell is preparing you for the responsibilities you have and are planning to have.
1: Sure. Yeah. So uh, I guess I'll start with with what got me involved. Uh, a very, very long story short, Cornell Votes was a fellowship at the university in January of 2020 In March of 2020, the world ended, as it did for everybody, and my fellowship and hundreds of others were canceled and stopped being funded due to COVID and all sorts of things, but in March of 2020, there was still a November 2020 election that we cared about, and so myself and a couple of the other fellows turned our entire summer, you know, we all had all of our different internships and jobs were canceled, and we took it upon ourselves to pick up the pieces of everything we had and Rebuild Cornell Votes into this university-sponsored, really student-led and student-organized organization, and the whole purpose of it, you know, like you were saying, is get students civically engaged at every level of government. You know, all the way down from president of our student assembly all the way up to the president of the United States. It's paramount you vote everywhere. That's our whole motto or whole spiel. Uh, I know you threw a lot of questions, at me, so I'll answer. I think the second one that was there, which was. Uh, sort of what am I doing academically? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm in the labor school, industrial labor relations at Cornell University. So I particularly study arbitration, mediation, alternative dispute resolution. Uh, The quickest way I can explain that is it's everything in the legal field that isn't litigation or corporate. So for example, you can't sue your phone carrier because you've signed away your rights in those contracts Instead, you'll go to arbitration. And so that's what I study is figuring out How does arbitration work in our world? How does it impact people, repeat player problem, all sorts of fun things like that. But what ILR really teaches me and what my major really is, is how to manage people. And it's a leadership major, uh, is another way to say it. And so I've used every single thing I've learned in my education and turn it around and put it into the different orgs that I run the next day. I mean, like I'll take a, you know, I had to take an HR class. And so it's like, oh, if you do this, your employees will respond better all right let's try it put in the next day hey employees are responding better like two days later this is fantastic so a lot of what i study is people and leadership all of those things directly translate right back into voting right back into managing different voting orgs managing our elections and all the sort of fun stuff
0: all right and you're now a sophomore at cornell
1: i'm going to be a junior you're going to be a junior a week yeah a (laughs) A week. week Yikes. (laughs) Yikes.
0: <laughs> uh, like two weeks before my school starts. So I'm gonna be a senior, man.
1: God. Um, anyway. Look, <laughs> like, man, that's all that means is you're getting closer and closer to to being allowed to vote in more things. True. My first election is
0: uh, next year. I'm pre-registered. I'm a poll worker. You know, I'm working towards it um, in the primaries. I'm also working on several campaigns that'll be on the ballot. So that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, thank you for that. And uh, I guess... The reason we're having this interview, like we were talking about is that you recently testified um, in the New York state Legislature regarding your experiences of voting. Um, and I guess my next question is, is that, why, is that what drew you to enter the political sphere? You recently interned for a state legislator in New York state, um, you know, what kind of drew you to the political landscape? Um, you know, was it organizing activism? You know, talk a little bit about your roots in politics.
1: Yeah, so prior to that fellowship, I had done nothing in politics whatsoever. I've lived in New York my whole life. I'm from downstate. I go to school in upstate. I have lived, worked, and studied in both the rural, suburban, and urban areas of our entire state. So I had understanding of how everything worked, but wasn't involved whatsoever. And Cornell Votes is really the thing that threw me into politics. I learned very quickly in trying to get 23,000 people out to vote. Well, you need to know what they're voting for. You need to learn what are the different orgs out there, what different types of candidates exist, how does all the different governments work, how do counties versus cities versus states versus federal. And so when I was really helping to rebuild Cornell votes, in the June 2020 primaries, actually, I had voted by mail uh, in March while I was at school, and this is what I was testifying about, was my good friend Leo, who's, you know been my, one of my best friends since I was like five, he tried to vote in the June 2020 primaries And it took four hours for him to vote, like from leaving his house to getting back to it was an almost five hour excursion and all sorts of reasons why that's a problem. Besides the part where there was multiple breaches of state law, besides the part where there was multiple instances and where we weren't respected, weren't treated fairly and intentionally tried to deny my friend the right to vote. And that really opened my eyes a lot to how big of an issue voting rights is. Because prior, you know, at that point, I was 19. I had voted by mail most of my time because I was at school. But the two times I hadn't voted by mail at that point, my public school is five-minute walk from my house. I would walk there, 15 minutes to vote at most. Maybe you wait five more minutes so that you get that sticker. And then five minutes back home. Voting was never more than 30 minutes for me. And then I tried, and he's like, okay, well, let's help my friend do it. It took four hours. And the lesson that that taught me is that For so many people throughout the country and in New York, there's genuine impediments to how people can vote. And so I've sort of honestly took it upon myself, but said, that's where I can help and make a difference. That's where I can help and make people's lives better is by helping them to vote.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a a damn good story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not much I can say to that. Wow. Four hours in New York State, huh?
1: I... You know, there's a whole play by play in that testimony, but the short of it was, you know, we get we go to his polling site and they say, hey, your polling site's wrong. You're not registered to vote. Well, here's the card that says I'm registered to vote. And this is my polling site. Let me vote. Now you got a problem. You need to go, you know, 20 minute drive away to the Board of Elections. Fine. We go there. Wait for an hour. Hey, we want to vote. No, sorry. You, you got to wait for the commissioner. It's like, now hold on, hold on, hold on. I've read the entire 800-page New York State election law. There are very few under-20-year-olds who have. Mm -hmm. He has the right to vote affidavit. We don't have to sit here and wait for anything. Let him vote. You need to sit. You have to wait for the commission. You have to wait for the commissioner. Mm -hmm. We sit and wait there for two and a half hours filling out some made-up form every 15 minutes. Commissioner never comes. Eventually, he writes a letter to a judge. He's allowed to go back to Mount Vernon and vote with this manila envelope with 20 random pieces of paper in it. we we looked through it and it's like, none of this is even in the election law. I've read this whole thing. I know what this looks like. Bring it back. And he eventually votes at like 5 p.m. when we left his house at noon. Wow. So it's it's crazy. I mean, June 2020 primaries were crazy for everybody because of COVID, because of it, voting early and all sorts of great turnout reasons. But very frustrated with the with how long that took. And so I've tried to turn that frustration into action.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess... As now you're the, um, you're on the, you're president of the executive board at Cornell Votes. You also direct elections at the Cornell Student Assembly. What are your policy objectives? What are the values you're trying to amplify and accomplish? Is it to create more civic engagement within the student populace? Um, is it to have a more active student assembly? Like how far are you going to take your current roles? Um, and where do you see yourself going?
1: Sure. So. I can very quickly speak to the to the SA stuff, our student assembly. So, the president of the SA, um, who I was friends with, in October of 2020, because Cornell votes was you know, went from basically not existing to a powerhouse on campus, and that you know, I not want to say household names, the wrong term, but right. people knew what it was, knew what we were doing, and saw us. And the SA had just finished its elections and had the lowest turnout it had ever had in its 50 year history, and so the president sort of came to me and said, hey, I know you're a nice guy, but you also seem competent to know what you're talking about and trying to get people out to vote. Do you want to come and manage our elections and increase turnout? I went, yes, that is exactly what I'd like to do more than happy to. So I, you know, I was unanimously appointed in February and we were running, you know, there's a 23,000 student constituency. Like I joke that I manage elections bigger than some of the counties in New York state and they get a full board of elections. I get You know more homework, and so (laughs) it's so I yeah so ran that you know we had a thirty three percent increase in turnout from all the different strategies and all the different things that we did to get people to turn out. But yeah, I mean for me the thing that matters the most is that you're civically engaged. It's just as you said, you know everything we do is nonpartisan. Most of what I do is nonpartisan. It's more important that you elect people that you care about and will serve you than any party line can draw. And so my biggest issue concern whatever you want to call it is everybody has a right to say what's going on in their lives through government and so you should exercise that right and it's not as easy as saying oh we'll just go vote right because what I've learned at least in the past year and a half such as that four-hour story there are monumental barriers that intentionally are made to restrict people from voting and there's no need for that at least I don't think there's no need for that and so whatever we can do to help make voting easier to make voter registration easier to make The process of being involved in your community easier. It's only going to produce good things.
0: Right. Now let's talk about twenty twenty. You had mentioned, um, I like you know once in a century pandemic, um, pandemonium. I guess that's a point. (laughs) Um, See that SAT vocab. There it is. Um, what lessons do you think you learned from from that twenty twenty election? You know top to bottom at any level and what did it teach you because it seems like after 2020 you've become you know activated and motivated to get involved
1: so what 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 are your takeaways sure so i should preface just one quick thing of that all of the actual data for like turnout numbers for college students hasn't come out yet. It's gonna come out. There's this thing called the NSOLV report that Tufts released. Really- I have
0: a quick quick interruption. I have the NSOLV director coming on in the next- quarter. Oh,
1: fabulous. Yes, That's all beautiful. those folks at Tisch College and at, at Tufts are phenomenal. Um, they're coming they're wildly busy right now, trying to deal with all of our other colleges. Turned out I am down. aware, yes. Um, so we don't have the exact numbers yet. So uh, I can't tell you immediately what strategies worked and what didn't work and what we learned that way. What I can tell you though is, it at least looked like it. And looking at seeing how many more people were trying to go through us for absentee ballots, how many people were trying to go through us for early voting. And one way we do know that the strategies and the turnout things that we did, we know they work is because they worked in student government two months later. Like everything that I did for our student assembly elections to increase turnout is what we did for the national and state elections in that fall. So, you know, I guess in terms of your strategies, things that I learned that work is being accessible, just letting people know that you exist and you can help them solve a problem will help them solve that problem. Most people just need, you know, that slight little push that says, man, I don't really understand this absentee crap. Like, what am I supposed to do? Don't worry. We've literally got a workshop every other day for a hundred straight days. Like, tell us what you need and we're here to help you do it. So I guess that was the first thing I learned. The second thing I learned is that people care. Like the turnout numbers even if they're not, meeting on the college-specific ones yet, turnout went so much higher. We had so many people, over 100 million people voted early and something that most of them hadn't even done before. College students vote early by mail all the time, but the entire country learned what absentee voting was and learned what voting early was. So I guess the second thing that I learned was people care. People are passionate. The idea that voters, and especially young people, are just disinterested or apathetic to what's going on couldn't be farther from the truth. People are incredibly interested. I mean, you hosting this podcast is proof enough that right. people are interested.
0: Yeah. And to add on to that, most, most of the time when, when you know, those in power refer to those folks being disinterested um, and not, you know, not old enough in some cases, we're going to address that, that issue a little later on. It's mainly because those groups that they're discussing are disenfranchised, mainly because of the legislation they passed to do so. So, you know, it's kind of a cyclical pattern, Uh, but yes, do continue about 2020.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, and I think the sort of that last thing then, because, you know, mentioning legislation earlier, the third thing I think I learned is that we can make change, right? I know H-R-1 and all that stuff at the, the federal level is a little more stalemated, but at the state level, You know, people thought New York was like this bastion of voting rights. New York's laws hadn't been changed in 50 years for voting and were more outdated than 46 other states in the country. Like, our voting laws were garbage in 2018 for that election. But the legislator really got their act together. The entire state senate and state assembly, you know, there's now going to be a referendum on our ballot this fall about... Um, like having the constitution be permanently amended for no excuse absentee voting we had no excuse absentee voting because of covid they had early voting was expanded like crazy same day registration finally came around uh automatic voter registration passed both the houses and was signed by the governor in december and that's going to start to include a lot of college students mm-hmm. so what's shown to me is change is possible and not is it possible it's happening right now so you know i mentioned a little earlier i think before we recorded was that I was working for the state Senate this past summer. And that's part of what I was doing was seeing, you know, how is legislation written and how does this work? Because we can can do more, right? The legislation for automatic voter registration, that's gonna be helping a ton of college students. At the moment, it's only gonna be helping SUNY students. That's 600,000 more people who are gonna automatically be registered to vote. And that's fantastic. However, there's another 600,000 in private schools, you know, in Cornell and Syracuse and Columbia and Fordham and Pace, who aren't included. I think they should be included. And so we're working on legislation to do that. And that third, yeah, just that third lesson is change is not only possible, it's happening. So we can influence that change and we should.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, Got <laughs> yeah, we should, we should definitely do that. Um, that's pretty, yeah, changing legislation is, is, you know, you make it sound really easy. <laughs> the time is uh quite bureaucratic i don't know we probably yes. ran into that hurdle once or twice so maybe every day um just depends <laughs> on how high up you go um but yeah no that ma- that makes sense yeah thank you for your input um now my next question is very
1: simple um how important is voting paramount it is it is essential and now i guess i want to preface one thing in that voting rights is the thing that i have chosen to sort of make the thing I want to champion, to make the thing that I want to make easier for people and to help with, every single issue that exists out there is dependent on voting rights. Because if you can't vote for the legislators that care about the things you care about, Mm. then it's never going to get anywhere. I think a great example is climate change, right? So massive problem, the UN report that came out the other week, code red, every sort of thing. I care a lot about the environment. But I am by no means anywhere close to a qualified person to tell you what the right next steps are or what we should do. And I really can't do much more than defer to the experts. But voting rights is the thing that allows you to put those experts into power and allows you to make those experts the decision makers when it comes to climate policy. And it's the same thing for every single thing that you might be passionate about. If you're passionate about gun rights, that's great. But if the 25 people in your county legislator who decide the county's rules they you know, they don't care what you have to say if you don't vote. I mean, one of the biggest things that blows my mind is if you've ever run for any office or you speak with some maybe lower-level elected officials, the first thing that they do is they go to their board of elections and they ask for the voter rolls. You don't get voter rolls for folks who aren't registered to vote. Politicians don't spend time campaigning or even trying to attract voters that aren't registered. So you can't solve those bigger issues of climate change and gun issues and everything and anything until you put the people you want to solve those issues into power. And that comes back to voting rights.
0: Right. And the right to vote, you know, it's 18 or older. Um, I just like to ask, do you think 16, 17 year olds, like I said, I'll be voting in my first election when I'm 18 in some select cities and in, in municipalities. I know in Berkeley and Oakland, I also know in Maryland, um, you know, there's there's something called the youth vote. You know, 16 year olds can vote in their you know school board elections, in some cases their municipal races. Do you agree with the notion that the right to vote should be expanded to to, to the younger generations?
1: Well before I think you even get to expand it, I think you need to get to realize like the 26th amendment is supposed to allow 18 year olds to vote, yet there's still millions of ways where that is suppressed like my entire job is still trying to realize just the rights of the 26th amendment to allow 18 year olds to vote whether that be you know tennessee laws about you need a notary to sign your absentee ballot even though you're using the absentee ballot because you're at school in new york and not home in tennessee like things like that are are you know crazy to me that there's still so much to be done even just for you know used to be 21 used to be 18 year olds i know there's a lot of movement especially with primaries of, um, you know, if you're 17 in February, my birthday's in February and, you know, there's an election in June, but the primaries in January, right? right. Well, you're going to vote in that election anyway. You should have a say in the primary, right? So I know that's getting a lot of track and there's all sorts of other issues with primaries, there's, there's, yeah, with yeah, yeah. primaries and all that sort of stuff. Um, I personally think 18 is the right age to start allowing for federal And most statewide offices. I know that there's a couple of things like the cities you were saying, like the school board is something that makes a lot of sense to me of like, these are kids who are right in the heart of it. They will know a lot more about what's going on and what could be fixed if you give them the chance to. You know, I look at New York a lot because this is something that we focus on with Corner Votes is about lowering their voting rights. I personally think 18 is a perfect number for New York, just because for our state to be either a state senator or a state assemblyman you just have to be 18, right? For Congress, you need to be 25, for the Senate, you need to be 30, for President, for 35. But at 18 in New York State, that is no matter, you know, 18 or 88, you can now be a part of state legislature. And to me, that makes perfect sense as, and that's the time you could start to influence who gets put into the state legislature. But even if not actually voting is until, you know, 18, there's still millions of ways, and I'm looking at you especially, to be involved and really impact the process beyond your individual right to vote right it's gonna come you're gonna get it you'll age hopefully right and hopefully hopefully. Mm -hmm. but it's the there's still so many ways to get involved there's still so many ways to be a part of government and civic education but that sort of 18 being the time to vote you know that's when you that's when you start to pay your social security taxes that's when you start to i live in a city where there's a city income tax that's where your income starts to get taxed by the city Uh, I know in most places, at least, I didn't get my driver's license until after I was 18. So 18 is sort of a big rite of passage year. Lowering it to 16 federally, I'm not sure how beneficial that would be until really we should also be thinking about 18 to 25. Like that age group votes at so much lower terms. And it's not because of anything other than intentional suppression against them. Because it's the same, because I guess here's another way to look at it. If you look at Gen X, who was able to vote at 18, Mm -hmm. they're voting at pretty high rates at the moment. They're voting at pretty moderate rates compared to everybody else. So it's not a generational issue of, oh, the young generation doesn't want to vote. It's something's in the way from stopping young people, regardless of their Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z or I don't know what the new one's going to be called, but they're going to be eligible to vote in 10 (laughs) years. They should just call it, why can't they start at Gen A, like A, B, C? You know, like that would be so much easier to follow. Exactly. So whatever's after our generation, you know, whoever born after 2000, I think six and later, like they're going to be eligible to vote very soon. And it's not a generational issue. It's a youth issue of there are very intentional ways they try to prevent us from having that right to vote.
0: Right. Yeah, there are. There are many barriers. That's actually my next question. Um we look at states like Georgia, Texas enacting voter suppression laws, um, you know, targeting certain community minority groups. Um, you know, we can't give out a bottle of water if you're a poll worker without getting punished, yeah. um, much less um, participate or want, you know, have have accessibility at absentee ballots and polling locations. And you know, I, the list goes on and on, you know, and there are there, I think about estimated four hundred voter suppression laws in the United States after the 2020 election. What are your thoughts? Why is this happening? What do you say to it? Um, maybe you, you know, what's going on in New York State? You had mentioned some, some legislation uh, compiled there. And what can Gen Z, you know, what can our generation do about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first thing with sort of the restrictive bills is I think a lot of it, you can sort of see right through the lies, I would say, of what it is trying to do. Like for example, I was reading this morning. I think the Texas Senate officially passed um, their their bill to restrict voting rights, and I was looking at it. Mm-hmm. And the two big things that they were focusing on was besides the absentee limitations and the twenty four hour voting limitations, one thing that they intentionally got rid of was uh, drive drive in like not walking to the place voting. Now there was a whole court case with Harris County right when the election was happening, where they tried to throw out 125,000 ballots. If what they were caring about was the security of the elections, then why would you and why would you focus on something that is the only choice for people to vote? So I I published some uh, this whole paper a couple. It's going to be published next month, but I wrote it a while ago about voters with disabilities and how for almost all voters with disabilities there's not a single, not a single place in some of these states that are ADA compliant for somebody to be able to vote in. Interesting. Right. So being able to walk curbside voting is so important for folks in wheelchairs, for folks with any sort of um, back issues, like that is the only way they can vote because these boards of elections in states haven't put in the infrastructure to let them vote in the first place. Right. So something that concerns me like crazy is You're taking away voters with disabilities only avenue to vote. We're skipping past for a minute, how hard it is for them just to register and do everything in the first place. They finally make it on election day to the polling site. And now they're turned away because they think that somebody in a wheelchair is gonna try and vote for 17 people from their minivan. And to me, the thing that I see is like, if, if you really cared about voter protection, the first thing you would do is realize those rights as I was talking about before, for all the folks that it hasn't been realized for yet, right? So there's so like the whole absentee ballot restrictions. A lot of them, if you look at it, are not even like, they're just direct violations of the 65 Voting Rights Act. Now that's getting struck and down like crazy with every other Supreme Court case. But the thing that, that just, you know, worries me the most is in this whole effort to make elections safer beyond the fact that there's basically no election fraud, the thing that they're doing to make them safer is literally preventing millions of people from voting. And if what you're doing is preventing millions of people from voting who are legally entitled to and, you know, are in every sense of the way allowed to, then something else is going on, right? It's clearly not about voter protection. It's either about trying to keep the power, trying to cut out certain individuals on purpose. Um, You know, I worry about a lot of these states that still have partisan... Um, commissions that draw their lines with the census data that came out yesterday. Right. York, thankfully, after 250 years, is now going to be using an independent commission. But, you know, the way I, I see it at the moment is you're drawing all of these lines to intentionally gerrymander people. And then even once you've made their vote diluted enough, you're trying to find ways to stop them from even having that diluted vote. And to me, it's just, it's a direct violation of, what it means to like be an American. like Part of being an American is voting. Part of being a patriotic American is being a part of your country. And the best way that you can do that comes literally every year in the form of voting. And anything that's restricting that right to vote, anything that is further burdening folks to vote, I, I can't see the rationale. I can't see uh, what the positive rationale behind that is.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was actually going to point out. Um, I don't know. There, there are certain ADA rules, right? Um, I don't know if voting applies, but shouldn't voting rights also be ADA compliant with the Disabilities Act? And there, that could that's just an impending court case. They're supposed that's, to be. Yeah, they're supposed absolutely. to be. Yeah, there's.
1: I mean, the the GAO put out this full report in 2013. I want to say it was they did a sample of a couple thousand polling sites throughout the entire country, mm-hmm. and it was something like 30 percent were just were clean and 67% had at least one problem that would have fully restricted somebody from voting. You know, and part of it too, beyond the part where the ADA has all of its other issues and you know it still doesn't protect a lot of people with disabilities, just because something is ADA compliant doesn't also mean that it's actually accessible too. Right. Like the lines for ADA compliant mm-hmm. over 32 years ago are different from what is needed now. I mean, like a, a small example that people don't think about at all, is for blind voters, right? If you think of a school, of a public school, what's in the hallways besides all the lockers? There's these jut outs of water fountains. Now, your kid in school, yeah, you see the water fountains coming at you, but if there's these random things of metal that bump out at you when you're trying to go and vote, you could get seriously hurt, right? And if you don't have the proper pathways, you don't do all sorts of things to make it easier for people with disabilities to vote, Again, it's, you know, it's the largest voting block in the entire country is people with disabilities. One-sixth of all Americans have some disability and they're just pushed to the side. And it's made, and all these things that are, are trying to make elections safer are making it even harder for them to vote.
0: Okay. Well,
1: damn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, sorry. I, I never thought of the ADA of- perspective. No, I, I didn't think of, of folks with disabilities Uh, You know, I, I, you know, most of the time when my parents don't have, you know, you know, everybody's working a nine to five or something, they just go drop off their ballot. You know, if they have the time, they'll go to the location, you know, and fill it out there. But most of the time you're dropping in last year's election, we're mailing it. But yeah, for the folks who drive in, drop it off. If you're taking that away from a potential voter, then you are in turn acting in antithesis to what American democracy is supposed to be free,
1: right? Exactly, are... democracies need voters. Yeah, you're democracy removing,
0: you're removing a freedom to act uh, on, on somebody's wishes, on, on an opinion, on your voice. And I mean, I could take that all the way to the first amendment, you know, that's my freedom, <laughs> that's my freedom of speech. It's my freedom to act uh, of choice. Um, anyway, uh, I should really bring on a constitutional professor on the show.
1: to <laughs> <laughs> really discuss that. Um, well, if you want one fun constitutional thing, you know, the there's nowhere in the Constitution uh, is the right to vote. Like in the original Constitution and in the first ten amendments, hmm. at no point is the right to vote there.
0: Wow. Yeah, but the with the 26th that's, twenty sixth amendment,
1: that's yeah, the twenty sixth uh, amendment and the nineteenth and yeah. the um and you know the fourteenth and the thirteenth do a couple of things as well. But it's this whole issue of we, you know, voting is such a center cornerstone of being an American and, and being in our democracy. But, you know, there's a lot of ways that it was intentionally written not to be originally. And so it's our job to continue to expand that and to continue making that more accessible.
0: All right. Yeah, no, I just realized like, you know, I've studied American history for, for a long time in school. Um, and there's, there's often a, a critique of, of the constitution being a conservative triumph, right? Um, You could point to, you know, slavery, you could point to the three fifths compromise, you could, you know, originate that was it really free, or was it benefiting the plantation slave owners and wealthy aristocrats in Virginia. Um, And the more I think about it, if they, you know, it kind of adds to that, right, it's evidence that if if there was no reference in any of the constitutional articles or the first Bill of Rights, right, of voting was the country meant to be for everybody. and what it is, and is it what we now believe to be American democracy, right? Was that just some fantasy? Anyway, this could be a really long and, and- no no no, it's all good. Yeah. I'll I'll
1: I'll sum it up quickly and just say, but you know, that's that's our job. You know, I know you said Gen Z before, but youth, elderly, everything in between, like it is our job to realize and make perfect what was an imperfect tree, right? It is our job to really make this country as democratic and open and free. As possible, right? Like it is our job to make this as welcoming and inclusive of a country as we can. That is what, you know, it's what we've adopted. Even if we didn't start that way, that's our end goal is, you know, we want everybody to have a better life. You want your community to be better. You want to be better, right? And so we're still working towards that. We're still working towards it. That's why we're here. I would be retired and or maybe just studying and not doing all this work if we had already reached that. Yeah, yeah probably but, studying. <laughs> So we're working towards it. We're working towards that.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, any aspirations for office?
1: At some point, at some point in the future. Uh, you're, you're, you're 20, 20. How old am I? I'm 20. Yeah, I'm 20 at the moment. So <laughs> I've got hopefully at least 60, 70 more years to, to make some decisions. Um yeah. The immediate, it's looking like law school. I think that's the next step is probably law school. Um, you know, I've been spending time speaking with election lawyers and learning about what, beyond reading it and writing legislation, but like really learning what our election law looks like in this country. And I'd love to go and start actually fixing it. Like (laughs) there is beyond the 50 states in the federal things, there are so many voting laws throughout this whole country that desperately need some attention and desperately need some professionals. So we'll see five years from now, I might be one of those professionals.
0: That'd be good. We'd love to have you back on the show. Um, (laughs) When you're that professional, don't forget about the little guy. Um, But yes, in closing, what would you recommend to Gen Z? You know, teens who want to get involved, teens who, you know, don't really care about voting, um, but they're looking, you know, they're engaged. They're watching the news. What do you tell them?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is, keep staying engaged, right, like keep being involved, get involved civically everywhere you can. I personally do things at the nonpartisan level. I know we were speaking a little about what you do, like you don't have to do it at a nonpartisan level. If you really care about the working families party and like that is the one thing you want to bolster like crazy in your community, run for it, like do it, run for office as a working families person, do it and, and save the world. Like there's tons of ways for everybody to get engaged, especially Gen Z. If you're in college, I spent almost the entirety of my spring semester um helping hundreds literally hundreds of folks at different universities start to set up their voting rights orgs right like Cornell Votes was a massive success we got national awards at the end of the fall semester and all these great things and people have recognized that you know enough that I guess that you figured out who I am somehow but we uh, spent okay. <laughs> we found you know we I spent time with kids throughout the entire country helping them set up their voting orgs right from there was a Guy in Vermont, I was helping maybe like a month ago. Some folks in Colorado at Brown and you know Harvard's been doing great. Like there is a voting org at almost every single college at this point who are always looking for help, who are always looking for more passionate people, and are looking for the next leaders. I'll put in a short plug if you're interested in Cornell and Cornell votes, please right. let me know. More than happy to chat with you. Yeah. Um, but okay. there's if there isn't at wherever school you end up going to, start it. Be that person who revitalizes civic engagement at your campus start talking with administrators start talking with their students and you can really start to make the difference even if you're not 18 yet yeah well said you know you sound like me
0: when i used to be younger you know <laughs> <laughs> something like that um no and uh, yeah you were just about to plug uh plug your twitter and um Cornell votes anything you know how can folks oh sure find sure sure so
1: uh, not, not, yeah, not, not very, but I'm very active on Twitter, but at Cornell votes for all of our Instagram, um, you know, at Cornell University for all sorts of things as well. You'll see us spotlighted from here and there. Uh, personally, you'll find me just about everywhere at patrick.j.mailer. Um, that's about everywhere. But yeah, I mean, thanks so much for having me. I sincerely appreciate it. It's been fantastic.
0: Of course. Yeah. Anytime you want to come back, become an expert, come back on the show. What you learned. <laughs> Um, it was really great to have that, you know, collegiate, you know, civic empowerment, um, that you're obviously leading right now. So we wish you the best of luck with that. Um, and I think this perspective of, you know, you being also a peer to this generation, um, well, it is it, helpful. It, you know, you're, you're leading us through, through the fire and the hurricanes and the storms <laughs> and the earthquakes and, uh, and then the laws too. Yeah. You're going there as well. So, um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Always, always could use more support. Always could use more folks who want to get involved and want to, you know, I'm, I'm out of college in two years, right? Somebody else needs to take my spot and needs to take the spot of the other 400 leaders throughout the state who are doing similar work.
0: Exactly. Yeah, no. And and I'm sure, I'm sure folks will step up. Um, so yeah, thank (laughs) you. Thank you so much. Um, and, and yeah, we wish you the very best of luck in your endeavors. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Of course. Take care.